Hey everybody, Mitch here. Just a quick reminder that we are doing another live show. We're in Glasgow this time. It's the 28th of February from 6pm. It's at McFab's and it's free. Check our social media for all the information you need. And don't worry, we'll be done in time for Lords of Chaos at Frightfest. See you there. Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to another mini-sode of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As always, I am Andy Stewart. And I'm Mitch Bain, and once again, I'm in the walls. Yep, yep, I'm sitting here looking at your empty couch, Mitch, and it fills my heart with sorrow. Hi, um, so as you may have picked up, I, uh, I'm not around. I'm not at Strong Language Violent Scenes HQ today. No, you are not, no. No, no, no. Um, coming to you live from Peter Heed, oh, of all places. Oh, yeah. But it's all happening. Yeah, um, I've got some uh, some family stuff going on. Nice family stuff. Good right. family stuff. <laughs> As opposed um, to the bad kind, like funerals, court yeah, cases. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. So no, uh, I'm up. I'm up for the weekend. So yeah, here I am coming in uh, from the from uh, basically from the study in my parents' house. <laughs> ah, cool. And how was the weather up there? I heard that it was pretty balmy earlier this week. It's it's nae bad. It's nae it's, it's bad. Oh, unseasonably so. No, it's all right. I'm going to flip this totally on its head here and ask you what you've been watching. Oh, man. Um, okay, yeah, the odd thing. Um, new releases again. Yeah, you, you did give some uh, some forewarning of this. Yeah, I did unfortunately run out of days for Escape Room, so I solemnly promise that I'll catch up on that on a home release. <laughs> uh, I give you my word now. Happy Death Day to you, first up for me, then. Ah, right, okay, how was that? A big fan of the first one, thought it was great. Yeah, I really like the first one, too. This one is definitely, like, it's it's played for fun. I think the first one was as well. But I think that this is played for way more for fun than for scares, and I think that it mostly works. I prefer the first one, and I think that it's getting kind of talked up like it's a massive reinvention of it. And I think that, to an extent, that's true. But... Basically, what you have is quite a lot more sci-fi stuff in the first act, and then you do kind of fall back into the pattern of them being stuck in a loop and kind of trying to figure it out and things like that. But it's a lot of fun. It's never not entertaining. I would say that the way it kind of unfolds works for me slightly less well than the first one. But in terms of adding to it and kind of trying to pull it in a slightly different direction, it does enough that will kind of keep the fans of the original happy, but it's also got a little bit of kind of ingenuity in there as well. I thought it was pretty good. Sounds and, awesome. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to know what you think of it, and actually just in general what the listeners are making of it, because um, it is it is an interesting one. I also um, went to the Glasgow Film Festival screening of The Hole in the Ground. All right, okay, yeah, this looks interesting. How did you find it? So this is directed by Lee Cronin, uh, who was there hosting the screening. Right. And um, it's it's kind of getting talked up, like people are throwing, I don't really like it like when people talk about films in this way, but people are throwing around that it's this year's hereditary and all this kind of thing. <laughs> right, okay. So you've got this woman, Sarah, who is living in the woods, basically, with her son, Chris. And they have this weird encounter with a neighbour at the start that kind of sets off this chain of events. I don't want to go into it too much, but basically, I thought that the hole in the ground was... Mm, I was ready to like it a lot more than I did. Oh, right, okay. 
I, I think that the setup and around about the first half hour or so is really interesting. And I think that the film is at its most effective when it's doing the kind of claustrophobic stuff. Okay. Uh, when it's again hard in the house with the kid, uh, that stuff works reasonably well. Where, where it actually goes in the end loses me almost completely. <laughs> um, and again, I don't want to dig into what it is I don't like about it because to do that, it has to be a little bit spoilery. But it's not exactly how it appears in the trailer. And I think that it makes a couple of narrative decisions towards the end that I found quite maddening because I think that there's there's the bare bones of a good idea here, but I think that where it ends up is not ultimately. Um, <laughs> okay. I, this okay. is this is out really soon. I think it's out next week in the UK. So um, again, oh, is, it be general, is it like got a general cinema release? I believe so. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, I was not wild about this, which was kind of disappointing because, like I say, I was pretty ready to kind of come out really enthusing about this one. But that's just about it, apart from uh, Shockwave stuff, which we'll get to. What about you? Well, I went back and uh, revisited Gaspar Noe's Climax, one of my favourite films from Fright Fest this year. Ah, cracker. It's a wild time, uh, and it's just as effective watching it in the house with a telly as loud as you can physically stand it. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, because um, I I haven't gone back to it since I saw it at Fright Fest, and I wondered how it would work um, at home, because obviously it's kind of designed to be kind of bombastic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I hesitate to use the term mainstream, but I would say it's certainly Noe's most mainstream work to date. Which is fucking crazy. Really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, nah, it's out on Blu-ray now from Arrow Video. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, you can get your hands on it and it is, it's worth a look because it's, uh, it's, like I say, it's a wild old time. Oh yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I, I definitely I definitely want to revisit it. Now I know what I'm getting, if you know what I mean. That, like, uh, now I know precisely what I'm signing up for. I think I would like to go in with fresh eyes. Yeah, that was exactly the, kind of the way I went into it. I had all these kind of slightly beer foggy memories of it from Fright Fest. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it turns out that my memories were pretty much on the nose. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, anything else? Jumped on to Now TV uh, and mm-hmm. watched uh, Ashlyn Clark's The Devil's Doorway. Okay, now this is another one that um, it showed at Fright Fest this past summer as well, didn't it? it? And it, I remember it, um, yeah. some people were pretty up on that one. Where did you land? Also, actually, just before we begin, what is this actually about again? <laughs> um, so it's 1960, and two priests are summoned to this uh, home for a moral woman, like this woman who've had kind of babies or they're pregnant out of like like out of wedlock and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so these priests are summoned there because all the statues are crime blood. They're kind of summoned there to investigate. Uh, obviously, as you can imagine, things take a kind of darker turn down more exorcisty kind of roads. Okay. Um, but uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's I mean it's a it's a found footage. Well, I say found footage. It's more like uh, suppressed footage because it's kind of been suppressed by the Catholic Church. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I like the fact that it's actually shot on sixteen millimeter and they've kept the aspect ratio intact. But you know that way when you're watching a found footage film and the acting doesn't seem realistic enough to convince you that it's real. Yes. It suffers from that a bit. It also suffers from having a soundtrack, which I don't think a found footage film should have. Like, it's, Oh, no. It's got, no, no. It's got score. Which, yeah, I'm not a lover of that. No, that's a, that's, that feels like a weird choice to me. Yeah, it always, it always seems jarring to me. It's like, why would there be music attached to this? Who has taken yeah. the time to put this footage together and then I've got all this really horrific footage of uh, pregnant young women giving birth to demon babies, but uh, I know what it needs. It needs some dramatic stingers. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird to me. It's such a weird creative decision. Uh, yeah, I, can, I, I, I guess I understand it. It, it. It's traditional movie making demands that you have some kind of score, but yeah. um, I think for the format, to me, it doesn't work. 
I, I think it, it would threaten to uh, kind of pull you out of the experience a bit. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't, I didn't mind it. It was nothing special. Uh, although I would say the seventy-two minutes, it felt seventy-two minutes. Oofed. 72, 72 minutes is not a long film to be feeling its length. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no. Okay. It, it, it did feel its length a little bit, but I, I didn't really mind it. Um, but in terms of the actual horror aspects of it, it delivered nothing I've never seen before. I mean, if, if we're talking about kind of found footagey films about people giving birth to demon babies, at least you didn't watch Devil's Dew. <laughs> Although I have watched Devil's Dew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was a fucking dreadful film. So cannonballing away from that because I don't actually want to get bogged down in the, in the devil's due because it doesn't deserve it. Agreed. Uh, let's crack on. You know what comes next? Mitch, what's your shockwave? One hundred. And once again, I did. Oh. Um. And <laughs> once again, only managing one. Right. But, um, okay. The but ticking along, The Wicker Man. Ah, right. Okay, my favorite horror film of all time. Uh, yes, it is fantastic. Yeah. I... It's 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 brilliant. I also I'm it's I saw it, it was a rewatch for me. Okay. Um, but I also shamefully have seen this considerably fewer times than I have the remake. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, did you watch the original? I did watch <laughs> for a change. I did watch the original. Yeah. <laughs> I you were going to be like, uh, yeah, I watched the Wicker Man. I never get tired of Nicolas Cage kicking that woman. Yeah, punching that woman while dressed as a bear. <laughs> Have you have you seen that thing? Uh, in fact, we'll get to this in a sec. Um, obviously, the original Wicker Man is amazing, but it's this uh, amazing exercise in rural creepiness, and I think that the end is absolutely nightmarish, and it's aged remarkably well. I really, really love that film. I can't okay. speak about the Wicker Man effusively enough. I just absolutely love it. And see, just I and I feel like you kind of have to touch on the remake just for a sec, right? Okay. And I'm. I'm genuinely of a mind that, see, if I love something and it gets remade, I find getting mad about that to be quite wasteful because you're not legally obligated to watch anything that you don't want to watch. Absolutely not, no. no. So, like, so, like, if if anybody makes anything that you don't sound like you're interested in, then you are always free to ignore it, which is what <laughs> I tend to do. However, I think that this is slightly different because The Wicker Man is like, and I mean, again, if when if you were to say back in 2006 or whenever it was, the remake in The Wicker Man, I'd be like, cool, go for it. But I think that this one is so poor. The remake is so poor. Mishandles the source material so egregiously that it doesn't harm the legacy of the original, but it does, it becomes this kind of mainstay of the conversation. And I understand that I'm perpetuating that right now, but it's kind yeah. of unavoidable. The, uh, the remake's remarkably poor, I think. <laughs> It's not even like a workmanlike reproduction or something. It's just cartoonishly silly at absolutely every opportunity. Yeah. But it's one of my favourite like few beers films. I in no way enjoy the Wicker Man remake. But I have watched it several times and I have I have laughed quite oh, yeah. ha- quite heartily. That is just wild to think that there might be people out there who've only seen that version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, killing him definitely won't bring back your goddamn honey. No, 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 no. Yeah. no. And the the question of how it got burned was I don't think it's ever fully answered. No, I don't. I don't. I don't believe it is. <laughs> An absolute howler. Moving swiftly on, that was the only one that we did. That uh, that was the only one that I did this week. Well, that's okay. That's good. That's a good one. Definitely. So. What have they been saying? That was a particularly hard rocking version of that. Yeah, it was punchier. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> that's some uh, distortion on that. Cleaner. Maybe it's because of all the new metal. Uh, it could be. It could be. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it's been vocals by there. Jonathan Davis. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yes, uh, feedback, pretty sizable this week. Um, and the lion's share of it once again being this past week's film. And it's Queen of the Damned this week. And big thank you to Joey Keogh of Birth Movies Death, of Wicked Horror, of Vague Visages, and yeah. List. Yeah, Joey was brilliant. Yeah, she was. Um, and also was very keen to get uh, stuck into the feedback as well. <laughs> So a lot of stuff in Queen of the Damned. Do you want to do that first or last? We'll do Queen of the Damned first. Okay. Get it done so, and get it out um, of the way. <laughs> um, Dr. Lauren McIntyre. Watching Queen of the Damned for this week's Strong Violent PC. Anyone else notice that they only have like 10 regular sized amplifiers for that entire Death Valley gig? Really feel for those poor bastards stood more than five rows back. Also, new personnel at Chris Stantis PhD at Chris Stantis on Twitter. Ooh. The speakers are so tiny for the venue. So a couple of people talking about um, the logistical implications of putting on a gig that size with uh, such little equipment. But Mitch, you and I both know that you don't need a particularly big backline. You don't, you don't, you don't. You'd be surprised. As long as the, the speakers flanking your stage are big enough. You'll be absolutely mm -hmm. fine. Yeah, I agree. I think so. And um, also, I mean, as Joey pointed out on a couple of occasions during the podcast, vampire powers are elastic in that film. They are, yeah. yeah. They, I, I would like, imagine that Lestat's voice tra can travel quite far at his own behest. Yeah, quite possibly. And also, I mean, like his powers might just extend to uh, amplification. General vampiric amplification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On Facebook, Boz Bozzy alone. Uh, getting in touch to say, oh, it should have been such a good film. But instead, the thought process seemed to be, hmm, Lestat is a much-beloved character in the books and fandom. Who's the mopiest, weird accent-having bad fit for this role we could possibly find? That said, I really should give this a, a rewatch with less of-the-time Anne Rice fan slash pre-Twilight era eyeballs in. Okay, right, okay. Sorry, that took me a sec. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, I would say give it a rewatch. I'm not going to say that the years have been kind to it, but it's probably more fun than you remember. But it's pretty harmless. Yeah, I think harmless is a good word. Um, I think we landed on that at the time. Uh, yeah, I think I, th I think it's an easy watch. Not necessarily pleasant all the time. And, like, not pleasant in an unpleasant gross way. It's just, there's a lot about it that is, is just kind of, like, getting jabbed in the eye. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's I suppose that's true. Salter Popcorn at Salter Popcorn on Twitter. You know what day it is, folks? It's new Strong Violent PC Day. And I'm gonna indulge in a wee swagger as I prepare myself to be bang up to date with the show for the first time since the lads started. Something has to make my Queen of the Damned viewing worthwhile. <laughs> so uh point one, uh, well done on getting caught up. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot out there now. There is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Achievement Unlocked, nice work. And also, I hope the episode made your Queen of the Damned uh, viewing worthwhile. Um, you got anything else in Queen of the Damned? I have a couple. Hundreds. <laughs> Go on. Uh, moving on, Instagram. Wicked Sister 69 Kim Morrison getting in touch to say, Not to be a vampire nerd, but glamouring is more like mind control, hypnotising than actually just reading someone's mind. It's usually how they charm people into being bitten slash doing their bidding. Or if you're a witch, glamouring is creating a visual illusion, like in the craft, where they change their hair colour. I, uh, I, I think I, I, I had uh, perceived glamouring to be some kind of mind control. I'm happy to withdraw that. However, I don't want to hear any chat about witches, because witches are not what we're talking about here. Fair one. Also, I love the fact that that message started with not to be a vampire nerd, and then we got a paragraph of what is 100% vampire nerdism. Oh, quite clearly. However, definitely worth knowing and worth clearing up. So thanks for that, Kim. Yeah, and you can put your big book of vampires back on the shelf. <laughs> um, Tony at Rhubarb and Mince on oh, Twitter. Okay. In uh, interesting fact, this film does not work back-to-back -back with Interview with a Vampire, or on its own. <laughs> 
Okay, on Twitter, Andre Martins at Callahan getting in touch to say, Oh dear, Queen of New Metal. I hated it back then, even though I was into that sort of music. I'm kind of surprised by the reserve of absolute bile there seems to be for this film. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, because, like, like, I mean, we've kind of talked about, like, where we landed on it, which was that it was kind of, like, not great, but fairly harmless. I'm surprised that so many people are recalling it with such contempt. <laughs> I do maintain, I think it's a pretty interesting little time capsule of a very particular time uh, in music and in fashion and in the world. And I think in filmmaking. So. And filmmaking itself. Definitely. We have some, uh... <laughs> Some in-universe questions, again following on from uh, Joey's queries about uh, where the vampires buy their clothes and generally about vampire economic sustainability. (laughs) Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. Uh, Some interesting thoughts from today's episodes about the workings of the vampire world. I imagine there's lots of bartering and favours. Trade some virgin blood for a swanky cape. Uh, Although I always thought that glamouring was like a magical masking slash disguise. And... um, Kim and Morrison again weighing in saying, maybe they have a from dusk till dawn type front business going on. Those vampires were doing pretty well just murdering truckers. Well, they do. They've got that bar. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, that's that's the front, isn't it? They're selling presumably a negligible amount of alcoholic and soft drinks to human victims. Their overheads, though, must be huge to keep that place running. <laughs> I don't know. It's very, very underlit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of of the opinion that their electric had already been switched off. Fair enough. Was it candle lit or was it just lit by very, oh, uh, very dim bulbs? I'd have to go and look again. Um, have you got anything else on Queen of the Dam before we move on? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, okay. Caitlin Downs getting in touch on Twitter to say, uh, not listen to all of today's at Strong Violent PC, but definitely enough to declare everything very sexy for the rest of the day. It was very sexy. It was, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think that's uh, in question. I have last one in Queen of the Dam for me. Uh, Dennis Extraatherton got in touch. Uh, he enjoyed this one. I uh, said, "I can feel the love coming from this podcast. A film doesn't have to be perfect to be loved. If we had to be perfect to be loved, we would all be single." You love a film because it's not perfect. Flaws are beautiful. Your love made me love the film more, which is uh, which I think Joey was quite pleased with. <laughs> um, I've got a miscellaneous comment here from Panda on Twitter, at Prettiest Dunce. Andy claiming that he doesn't think there's very much VR porn out there is by far a highlight of Strong Violent PC catch-up, buddy. And then he's posted, uh, I think it's a gif of uh, Aladdin and Jasmine singing uh, uh, A Whole New World. Um, (laughs) Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've never watched any porn, Mitch. Okay. But I was unaware of the developments in porn. I'm very much a hop on, have a watch and hop off type of guy. I'm not really, uh, I'm not really rooting around at what's coming out. Uh, you're, you're not, I'm, uh, you're not staying on top of the trends. Your fingers not <laughs> no. on the porn pulse. No, I'm not. Although I hear a lot of it is incest stuff now. That is, that is, that is, that's true. <laughs> so uh, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll need to kind of broaden my horizons. But uh, I'm certainly. No, on don't. A... <laughs> Fucking hell. No, don't. <laughs> but I was certainly unaware that there was so much VR porn out there. Now, I don't know if VR porn is designed to be watched while wearing, like, an Oculus Rift or something, because that's weird to me. That's weird in and of itself. But also, is it not just... In my head, it's very much just, like, the, the old kind of first-person stuff you used to get. But it's just, like, a camera looking down at... at... Yeah, I, 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 I have no idea what you're talking about. Couldn't possibly comment, no. <laughs> but uh, if there's actual VR porn out there that's designed to be watched while wearing a mask, I'd, 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 I mean, I'd check it out. <laughs> also, like when you watch, like when you, you use VR, you can like you have to like do things with your hands. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. Uh, I just don't know how that works. I don't know if it's like I... a kind of flashlight attachment. I don't think of this is for us to speculate about. Get in touch if anyone's got any ideas. 
Any ideas? <laughs> let's, let's, let's develop this. Oh, this has turned from passing curiosity into us trying to rope people into a dragon's den pitch. <laughs> uh, moving swiftly on. Um, I think that's a, best. Yeah, we had a tweet from Shakes, the Shakes72 on Twitter. No werewolves were harmed during the making of this film right at the end of the credits. Small touch, but nice. Is this unloved enough for the strong, violent PC crew to consider for future? Um, and the film that he was referencing is Howl. Oh, right. Okay. Paul Hyatt's film. Yeah. Yes. So to answer your question, I don't know. And of course, um, if that was to be the case, then uh, the duty would lie with the guest to choose that. Yep. What I would say is that historically, I am not a great lover of Paul Hyatt's films. What I will tell you is it's his best film, in my opinion. I would say that that is probably true. Um, of, of the ones I've seen, I haven't seen uh, Heretics. But um, yeah, of the ones that I've seen, I would agree with you there. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm generally a little bit shaky on his stuff. Uh, do you get anything else? Um, just a small piece of general niceness. Uh, film fan Stevie is on the road again. <laughs> so um, his uh, Friday tradition was disrupted and uh, he had to ditch the cars in Soho and checked out Joey's episode in Glasgow. Yes, and welcome to the city, Stevie. Welcome to the city. It loves you. It welcomes you. It's just, yeah. Yes. Make yourself um, Steve, at home. Stevie's here for the next 12 days uh, for uh, the Glasgow Film Festival. And actually, I caught up with him on Wednesday. We went to the opening thing. Uh, we went to see a film called Mid-90s, Jonah Hill's directorial debut, oh, yeah. which uh, was class, by the way. But yes, uh, Stevie's here. He's coming to the live show, here for the whole of Fright Fest. Hope you're enjoying Glasgow, man. I'm sure, certain, that as we're recording, he's watching a film right now. <laughs> On the live show, um, last thing I've got here, uh, a couple of comments regarding Sleepaway Camp. Uh, the Shakes again on Twitter saying, I'll be watching prior to listening to the podcast. And Tony mm-hmm. again, Rhubarb and Mince, uh, saying, finally sitting down to watch Sleepaway Camp ahead of Strong Violent PC live show. Hashtag first watch. I'll be very interested to know what they made of it. Yeah, same. I had my first watch of it on Sunday. <laughs> I was on like um, a Sunday past by the time this airs. And I intend to watch it maybe three more times. Okay, I don't want to know a thing about what you thought about it until the live show. No, um, I, I, I actually, I watched it with our very own Be Quiet Michael. Right, okay. Um, it was a first watch for him also. Um, in fact, I've watched it in a group of three and it was first watches for all of us and there was a lot of exclaiming going on. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the live show, that is of course this Thursday at McFab's in Glasgow. John McPhail joining us uh, to talk Sleepaway Camp. And if you want to come down and you don't have a ticket, don't. <laughs> Ah, uh, you fucked it. You have fucked it. Yep, because you can't. Because it's a very small room and it's full. But what I would say is, by all means, if you do decide you want to come down, messages because it might be the case, perhaps, that somebody's pulled out and we've got a, a space. Yeah, actually, just before we move on from feedback, I just went, like, let's just talk about the live show just for a sec. So for anyone who is listening that is coming, uh, presuming you kind of know what you need to know by now already, but uh, we will be opening the doors at 6. We'll be looking to start around about 6.30. Um, so come on down to McFab's, come and meet us. But also, if you have reserved a space and for any reason you can't come, if you could get in touch with us through the usual channels and uh, let us know because we have kind of assembled a short wait list of people who are kind of looking for a ticket if it's going. So um, drop us a wee line if uh, you're not going to be able to use your space and uh, we'll definitely get that moved on to someone else. Yeah, that would be good. So... It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Hooray! (laughs) For those of you who are unfamiliar, Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. 
While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will have photoshopped out the title on the tagline and all identifying text, all will be left will be the poster's central image. Right, okay. I will describe it to the best of my ability, give it a title and a synopsis. We'll also post the image everywhere so you can play along at home. And please do do that because it is routinely the best thing about this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's the only reason I'm still doing many songs. (laughs) <laughs> so this past week what do we have uh, we had three on a meat hook three on a meat hook yes. uh, reappropriated by me as sex drugs and slaughtered souls i remember now <laughs> so uh that picture is everywhere it's, it's on facebook uh twitter and instagram might want to go and take a look at it because we do now have some listener pitches okay let's get into them uh cosmic ray girl on twitter a previous winner yeah um, sure yeah after the events of hook the captain takes his revenge on Tinkerbell and her sexy fairy friends. Can Peter Pan come back to Neverland and stop Captain Hook's saucy sprite slaughter? Tune in tomorrow night to find out in Hook 2.0, the captain is coming. Oh dear. Right. I know. Okay. Heaven's above. Very sexy. Um, <laughs> honey underscore Ray on Twitter. I like this one. Jeff takes the phrase plenty of fish in the sea too literally when he goes out to hook a date from his Tinder list in 1982's Deadly Hookup. Oh, love that. Love yeah, that. pretty strong, yeah, I think. Good, good. Mm-hmm. Um, readers of the podcast identifying that uh, one of them looked like Ziggy Stardust and the other one looked like Lamal, so settled on the never-ending Gori. Oh, okay. Mark the Davies on Instagram, the warehouse hookup. And uh, moving to Facebook, we have Tony Constantinou. Oh, God. So um, I believe where we last left the Flaminion series. Oh, Jesus, no, no. <laughs> we had, um, I believe, Ron Mince, a redemptive arc for Ron Mince. Yeah, yeah, I think he was uh, he was going to take revenge on Dorothy Crisp. I believe that Ron was trying to stop Dorothy Crisp and her army of Hellcats with the aid of Detective Buff Rockhard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So, oh, man. Vicky and Mindy were the most popular cheerleaders in school, but during a trip to a local meatpacking facility, <laughs> the girls mysteriously disappear from the tour. An hour later, a blood-covered note arrives at the offices of the Sandwich Gazette, stating... <laughs> You have two hours to get me $10 billion or I'll flay your cheerleaders. Signed, Ron Mintz. What? But how could this be? Reformed Ron, the meaty Avenger, defender of Sandwich? Could he be up to his old tricks? Or is it a case of mistaken identity? <laughs> now on the run from the law, only with the help of ace reporter Rick Turnstile can Ron <laughs> fight to clear his name and find the cheerleaders before it's too late in 1987's Razzie award-winning Flaminion 4, The Clone Flanger. <laughs> Don't hate the flair, hate the game. <laughs> um, I also just want to mention that Flay Minion 4 is stylized with the 4 taking the place of the A in Flay, like in the Fantastic Four. Or like in Scream 4. Yeah. Right, okay. Right, sure. um, so that's your lot for this week. Well, okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to give it to Hanny underscore Ray. Ah, yeah, no, I did like this one. So that's Jeff takes the phrase, plenty of fish in the sea, too, literally, when he goes to hook a date from his Tinder list in 1982's Deadly Hookup. <laughs> um, so I'll be interested to see how uh, Tony turns this one uh, this week into uh, the continuing story of Ron Mintz. Yeah, or, I mean, it could be a departure for all we know, but yeah, certainly we'll be curious. Right, okay, so you're sending me one over? Yep, it's on its way. Okay. <laughs> oh, here we go. Got it. Okay, so it's here. Uh-huh. And I'm going to carry on from last week and start with some mundane chat about borders. Oh, for fuck's sake. Right, okay. The image is a rectangle. Your, your geometry is sound. 
thanks. Um, with a white inner border and an orange outer border. For fuck's sake, right, okay. It's um, it's split in two. Um, the left half of the image, for my purpose, is totally black, which leads okay. me to believe that um, <laughs> that was probably where literally all of the text was, yeah? Correct. Okay, so um, we are in some manner of nautical location. It looks like the ocean. Um, we have in the foreground of the image six people in a dinghy. Left to right, you've got a guy in a blue shirt who's kneeling... A guy in a yellow shirt and yellow trousers who is facing away from us, as is someone in the middle who's being held up by another guy to his right. Um, another guy looking in a state of some distress in a green shirt and brown trousers. And another guy on the far right, as we're looking at the image, sitting in the dinghy, looking a little bit defeated by the entire situation. And who can blame him? I because think there's a seventh are... person in his arms, Mitch. Oh, keenly observed. There is. There is. You're right. You're right. There's a seventh person. They're sitting side by side. Yeah, he seems to be um, consoling. Yes, that's right. That's right. But yeah, they, um, with good reason, because uh, <laughs> things do not look good. Their dinghy is being kind of uh, stared down by a giant ship, which has what looks like two eye holes, a nose, and a fanged mouth. Two holes in the hull that are kind of eyes, a kind of dent that looks like a nose, and a series of scrapes that look like look like a fanged mouth. It's basically like a ghostly visage in the front of the boat. Great ship knowledge when you said the word hull. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm using that 100% correctly, um, but I'm sure people will be quick enough to tell us. I'm actually just... I am, I'm wondering, is this supposed to be a shark? That's not for me to say, Mitch. I don't know. That, is that going to play into your storyline in some way? I, I don't want to influence you. You know, you know what? I'm going to pull... I, regardless of whether or not it is, I'm going to pull away from it and stick with kind of ghostly things. Okay. Instead. I kind of like where, if this was a face, where the ears would be, there's kind of like two smaller boats that look like they would be used for emergencies, which I would say there is about to be one because there's a giant face-shaped hole in the front of this boat. Right, <laughs> okay. Okay, right, uh, I will as ever need a moment. Okay, okay. definitely be playing the sunshine kid before the live mitch's pitches mitch i'd certainly like to think so i insist on it (laughs) and are you in a good position now to proceed um yeah i think i got it okay let's do it okay after a trying year the montague family tries to put their worries behind them as martha vincent and their five children set sail on the hms theodora for a cruise around the globe However, the trip of a lifetime soon turns into a nautical nightmare as the ghosts of men buried at sea start to manifest themselves in increasingly terrifying ways. Take a deadly trip on the high seas in 1977's Around the World in 80 Graves. Oh, <laughs> you could have said flays. I almost did say flays, <laughs> and I kind of felt like I was going to be a, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to tread on toes. Sure, yeah, I get that. I understand yeah. that, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's my show for that one. So, well, precisely how wrong am I? What year did you say? 77. 77? Well, I mean, it was 1980. Okay. And the film was Death Ship. <laughs> I was I was literally going to say Death Ship. Well, there you go. I, I thought, let's play back, let's take a kind of step back in time to when death was uh, all the talk of the steamy. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, like I feel I feel very silly now. Yeah, well, yeah, Death Ship it is, yeah. And at the risk of asking a stupid question, what's Death Ship about? Simon and Martha run a vineyard. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not uh, 
A mysterious ghostly freighter rams and sinks a modern-day cruise ship whose survivors climb aboard the freighter and discover that it is a World War II Nazi torture vessel. Oh my god. That sounds remarkable. Yeah, it's got George Kennedy for the naked gun in it and Richard Crenna. Well, that concludes Mitch's Pitches for another week. That image will be everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so uh, get pitching. Yeah, yeah, and a bonus Mitch's Pitch coming up soon. And with that, I suppose we should take a wee look at what's upcoming because we have got quite a few things on the way. Yes, we are quite busy. Yeah, we are. So saying nothing of the fact that we do have the live show on Thursday, which uh, will be being released as an episode in its own right a little bit down the line. I think we're thinking kind of 15th of March is kind of time for that. It is the 15th of March. Uh, This Friday, we've been talking about this for a long time and the conversation did not disappoint. (laughs) This Friday is our listeners' choice episode and the choice came from Dr. Lauren McIntyre. Yes, drawn impartially from a hat. Mm-hmm. And the film she chose was? Howard the Duck. And we were joined by award-winning comedian, the voice of Insane Championship Wrestling, Panto Star, and much, much more, Mr. Billy Kirkwood. Yeah. <laughs> you may remember him from episode two, The Adventures of Buckery Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. He was our first ever guest. Yeah, a little older, a little wiser, and forced to watch Howard the Duck. So he was there for episode two. He's back for episode 42. Billy Kirkwood joins both of us to talk Lauren McIntyre's suggestion, Howard the Duck. So, that's Friday. In the meantime, get in touch, please. Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email us, stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com. Yeah, there's tons of places you can listen as well. You can get us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Acast, TuneIn. Um, yeah, loads of places. But wherever you're listening, please, please, please give us a like, give us a share. Uh, And big thanks to the guys on uh, iTunes who had previously, I think, marked us as a 3 out of 5, if I recall correctly, on their review. They have Mm -hmm. since updated that review to a 5 out of 5 rating. Thank you very much. Loving that, yeah. Loving the fact we could, if you let us talk shite for long enough, we might talk you around. (laughs) And now 80-odd episodes deep. I'm actually, I'm actually grateful that um, the people that wrote that review stuck around. I think that's quite nice. Yeah, that's really, really nice. Um, so I appreciate, you, I appreciate you sticking with us and glad you're enjoying the show. But we will be back Friday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. See you at the live show. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.